Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and welcome to another episode of the Make Motherhood Diverse podcast. I am your host, Remy Chardé. I hope you're all doing well and I hope that you enjoy the episode. See you on the other side. Many, many of us die. We personally have both had near-death experiences within childbirth and I've made the decision to not do that shit again. Obviously you did and I'm so happy that, you know, everything went really well for you. Um, But you spoke about your first birthing experience so you know up until that point you know we made it to five chapters and the baby didn't even reach because that's how deep you know a nuanced <laughs> and layered black motherhood is that we got all the way to chapter five and the baby wasn't even there and then she arrived and you know the, and that's another thing as well our birthing stories do not stop when the baby gets out so oh. for both of us our near-death experiences occurred kind of during and postnatal. Mm. The last line of chapter five, you said something to the effect of at least I'm alive to tell you that. And you nearly died. And I'm not going to ask you to go in detail that the trauma is there. It's not for entertainment purposes. Please read it and be mindful. Do not message her asking her questions about everything she wanted you to know is in the book. But mm. at the same time, you also spoke about some statistics at the beginning of the chapter. Mm. of black women dying in childbirth and then you also spoke about babies Mm. and this isn't this isn't a widespread conversation but it was in the response to a petition that you were heavily promoting online where Mm. you were asking our current government to um, make some kind of investigational inquiries about why the embrace report that came out in november 2018 highlighted that Black women are five times more likely to die than white women in childbirth and Asian women are two and a half to three times more likely to die. Your experience, you you wrote about it. But it's weird because when I was reading it, the thing that I almost forget to feel even for myself and when I hear other people's stories that because of the way that you've written this book, I couldn't help but think, oh my God, she's been through all this stuff. And now she's had the baby. And now this has happened. I couldn't help but feeling shit. Like, are you okay? Clearly you weren't, right? But you wrote your birth story the way most of us tell our birth stories, which is, this is what happened. But then you did something that most of us don't do when telling our birth stories, which is, and this is how I felt. Is that, is that is was that a new experience for you to hold, kind of not even hold space, but because you've done that before, but was it a new experience for you to kind of tell your birth story parallel to telling how you felt about all of those things? Yeah, completely. I've never been asked to look at it in that way after having Esme. Bode was really, really invested in the idea of me raising a complaint and like suing the NHS. This isn't in the book. I've I've had an experience of trying to sue the NHS before for some medical negligence on my mum's behalf. And that is, it's, it's, it's a brick wall that will bankrupt you. So I really shelved um, um, fighting it that way. And you know what? 
uh, I do take the the long way around, but I'm really glad I got to do it this way because I feel like I get to speak for more people. And I feel like this book is the book that at so many points in a black woman's life, they can pull it out or take it with them and be like, you're not going to fuck me, you know, you know, you're not going to fuck me because Candice already told me what could happen. I had a DM from a woman the other day who um, after having her child, you know, she's almost dying, she's losing all this blood, rushed back to hospital. And she said on the operating theatre table, as she's about to be put under, she's thinking of me. She's like, I'm not dying like this because Candice told me that, you know, I can get through this and I can fight. I'm not dying like this. And so it was really important in that chapter to even put actually more emphasis on how I felt and more emphasis on how we are so silenced, how we are so policed, how our bodies are so, are so, how, how our bodies have become so used to trauma that those who have to care for our bodies falsely believe that we are worth less. Mm that's what I wanted people to get from that chapter and that is the first time I really got to spread my wings about how I felt that chapter was way longer than that and thank god for good editing um that chapter would have perhaps really pushed some people over the edge but I really had to clip it down for numbers sake um but I just I wanted that chapter to be uh what black women would use in their maternity notes (laughs) And be like, hi, yeah, I'm pregnant with my first kid, but you see here on page 105, <laughs> my girl said this could happen. Let me tell you now, this can't run. That's how I, because no matter how heavy the burden, this is, we haven't said this yet, but this is the first ever, 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 black British book about motherhood backed by a major house ever in the history of ever click everybody click <laughs> sorry so, no but even if you're not clicking can you just speak how mad that is yeah because when i felt pregnant big. when i felt pregnant with esme and any book i wanted about black motherhood i had to source from the u.s and only one of those was backed by a major house the other books were self-published I want to jump ahead and talk about when you got pregnant with your second child, which is our lovely RJ. When you got pregnant with RJ, you guys decided to leave London. Now everyone knows that you decided to leave London. But deciding to leave London, that conversation for our community, is like having the talk. It's like when your parents sit you down at the end of primary school or beginning of secondary, whenever they think you're ready. And they're like, we need to talk about what's going to happen next for you and your body and how that affects you. That's literally like the same level of seriousness as leaving London. How did you yeah, guys find it? Really difficult. I was the most hesitant because... Um, Bode, Papa B's privilege is being a Nigerian black man born in Nigeria um, who who in some ways already felt displaced. Like, he was like, London's not even my home anyway. Mm. So wherever I go, it doesn't, nothing in me moves. Whereas I was born and raised in Brixton. Like, it's all I knew. 
you know, even dating a man that lived in East London was a big deal for me personally. I'm like, right, I've got to go across the bridge. Like, are you okay? <laughs> um, so it was, it was, I, I put up a lot of resistance, not just because it's my home, but because of, and I, I, I want to make, I want to make this clear, what I perceived to be my support system was there. What I perceived to be the the extended family, the nursery, the, the this to that. All, I, I, I believe that that could only happen in that city. And um, uh, RJ being a boy or finding out his sex just just trumped all of my very selfish needs to stay in that city it is a city who metaphorically the river thames could be red with blood for all we know by now and that blood will be that of young black boys who are caught up in a life that no child deserves none there is there is nothing nothing an adult could tell me about a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old that will excuse the way these young children die. They are children and raising a black boy in London, it just, it was not, it was not something that would have sat well with me. But I also, whatever opportunity I get, I need to illustrate that uh, even the idea of leaving London in its own way is a privilege. It is um, a huge privilege. It's a privilege. It's a, it's a privilege. And financially, we went into debt to make that move. We took out like one of those astronomical payday loan things. I think it was with like Amigo loans where you take out 3K and you're paying back 20 and your heart um, in order to just fund the rent and the the removal costs on the next place like but for me that that financial gamble was always worth more than putting my 14 year old son's body in the ground and you wrote a um chapter called young gifted and stabbed um Mm. that's a play on the phrase young gifted and black you know there's there's this phrase you know the song young this obviously this and we're gonna move a little bit faster because candice needs to go and watch whatever whatever it is she needs to watch because <laughs> you know in covid times people still have plans apparently um <laughs> you wrote young gifted and stabbed and i feel like you were clearly demonstrating dog whistle politics for those who don't know dog whistle politics is essentially when um coded language is used within the media to demonstrate something but it's not over it's covert and it's dog whistle Mm. politics because essentially it's like when you blow a dog whistle the frequency only reaches the ears of the dog and everybody else around is oblivious um Mm -hmm. dog whistle politics in terms of this this chapter you spoke about the reporting of young black men dying and mm. one specific incident where a national newspaper put a picture of a young white woman who had been killed and then put two mugshot-esque looking photos next to her very you know mm. perfectly posed image and so it made it seem as though they were the people who'd killed her when actually they had also they were two young black men who had also lost their lives 
Um, and mm. it had been reported in a separate part of the newspaper. And things mm. like that were what you spoke about, but also you spoke about um, young black men killing each other and mm-hmm. how readily available the tools are for them to do so and mm-hmm. how often this happens and, and scoring points and all of these things. And you wrote this whole chapter and it's very fleshy for use of a better word. It, it sounds quite, it read quite fleshy. I wanted to ask you about mm. your researching process for the entire book, because I think in Young, Gifted and Stabbed, it was explicitly obvious that you had done research, but you opened up most of the chapters with some, in fact, if not all, with some form of factual statistics. Yeah, um, for Young, Gifted and Stabbed specifically, I sat through between 17 and 19 hours of unedited, unblurred footage of 14 and 15 year olds stabbing each other with zombie knives. This footage is readily available on YouTube, on Snapchat, on Instagram. You just have to know the hashtags and what to look for. Um, and I would say Young, Gifted and Stabbed took the most out of me emotionally because watching anyone die, but especially when you know it's a child, um, it, there's going to be some kind of traumatic blowback for that. The rest of the research with the book always happened alongside writing the chapter. So I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a go to the library type girl. I would flesh out my ideas, start writing and then be like, um, I'm very aware of the naysayers who want to uh, perhaps shut this entire book down as bitch whistle politics. And I had to be very, very clear about my facts aligning with my story. Um, And so whenever I set out to write a chapter, alongside writing there was always research happening but for that chapter specifically I really wanted to drive home how many of the things that lead any young boy to pick up a knife a bit like when black girls women become mothers many of those things are at play before that child even has an idea about the kind of life that awaits them we're talking uh government cuts um government cuts underfunded areas, um, again, low pay for jobs, um, poor housing, um, there not being enough mentors, there not being enough safe spaces for these children to be when their parents are putting in all the time on zero hour contracts. Like it's a pyramid, it's layered, it's nuanced. And I am, I am quite literally sick to death of these stories about young black boys dying, just being wrapped up like this one size fits all. It's, it's really not that. And um, that chapter really showed me how um, I have so much more to say on that topic, but I, I, unfortunately I couldn't put it all in this book. You also wrote about covert racism. So there was a there was a point in um, the earlier chapters when you were talking about collecting your push chair and you spoke about microaggression, but you also spoke about COVID. Mm. But you also, what you also did, which I really liked, was you, there are parts of this book that unfortunately, if you are not of our community, 
you're not going to understand the references. You'll still understand the book. You didn't ostracize anybody in your writing. But what you did do mm. was leave little, I felt like little, little nuggets throughout the book mm. where you put phrases in there and you spoke about certain bus routes and certain mm. you know, things like screw facing. And you spoke about what kind of hair grease you might use. Um, and you, you wrote these little things. And I, I'm obviously aware and conscious of the fact that you didn't only want to write this book. So you got to the point of writing this book. And, you know, you've worked in literature before. You know all about how it works. You know what essentially the audience is supposed to receive. You know that you're writing this book. And it's kind of, like you said, part manifesto, part memoir. But then Ooh. you made it black, black. And those of who are black who heard me say that know exactly what I mean. Those of you who don't know what I mean, black, black is like, you know, when you guys use the word black, it's like, oh, black person. It's a descriptive term. The second black is a verb. It's, a, it's an action mm. and it's a movement and it's a community and it's a culture, but it is also literally just a mood. And mm. you put things in this book that made it black, black. Did you think about whether or not at the point when you were writing the book, did you think about it? Like, the journey that you'd been on just to even write the book, but then also you got to write a book that not only spoke to who you used to be, but who you are now. Mm. Yeah. I, off the bat, want to say that I'm really, I'm really privileged to have a publishing house who off the bat accepted that only I would know how to speak for myself and to a certain group of people and they have never tried to get in the way with that but that's a really really lucky and privileged position to be in I also um for all intents and purposes you know because it does come up in the last chapter I also have been accused quite often of um what's the term I'm looking for no 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 not just that not just weaponizing race but from the flip also being a sellout Ah, okay yes i'm glad i'm glad you mentioned it because like i said we ain't got much time i'm glad you mentioned it so i said recognize it because of something that you referenced in the book something you've referenced in the book both of those both of those things either being called a sellout or you know somebody saying you recognize race both of those things come from external public perceptions and you've obviously exactly personal very personal book exactly and so um i i think my 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 blacking up of this book was was very purposeful because you uh, the weaponizing of race the idea of being a seller although they come from two separate ends like you said they're based on public perception but what i find hilarious is anyone trying to accuse a dark-skinned black girl from Brixton of being anything like we're not we're not even gonna go there we're not even gonna go there and like I said at the top of this conversation I do not know if I will ever get this chance again and there was no way that in 15-20 years I wanted my kids to pick up this book and not really feel it not really get it there were and this is because this isn't to say that the editing process was easy um my uh publishing house and this is a very regular occurrence um at one point uh used a freelance editor who came in and 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 she and she drove me crazy she drove me crazy 
because there were certain blackisms, for lack of a better word, that completely went over her head. And there was a lot of back and forth in the margins. And it just came down to me saying, well, you've got to come off of this project because I know this is uncomfortable for you to hear. But when I wrote this book, I was not writing it with a white woman in mind. Yeah, you can share it, you can read it, experience it. But you can do now. What's so mad is I need you to do that because Mm. if if you're really committed to this very popular idea of breaking down white supremacy and becoming an ally, then this is one of the books you need on your shelf. But first and foremost, and this is now me giving out some advice for anyone who is a writer or wants to become a published author. First and foremost, you write for yourself. I wrote that book for myself. I wrote I Am Not Your Baby Mother for a 16-year-old Candice walking down Tulse Hill with her see-through A5 art folder with the book specifically propped up so people could see that I am reading something that is hot in the streets. I, one of my favourite books growing up is a book called The Coldest Winter Ever by Sister Soldier. Um, I miss you! <laughs> Brav. And if you were reading if people saw you reading sister soldier like you just got mad cool points yeah and i yeah. wanted mm. i am not your baby mother to evoke that in in key stage four around great britain around the world i want young black girls to almost hold this book up like they're called to arms like chat to me bad you better talk to me nice, honey, because <laughs> Candy said, I'm not your baby mum's in it, so let's get into it. And so I can only have that kind of rapport if I'm honest about the language, the cadence, the slang, the attitude, the zaza zoo of what, for me, being black and British is. And so, yeah, some things just couldn't get left on the editing table. So basically, I don't want to talk about this book anymore because I feel like we should just leave it on a cliffhanger. I know that's a bit cheeky and you guys are going to hate us. Oh, well. Um, I don't want to talk about it anymore. I feel like literally there is nothing else for us to say. So we've spoken about half, I would say about half of the book. Slash three quarters of it. Uh, but we're that, only half. Yeah, what? yeah, no, I've literally got like loads of questions left, but we're actually, I'm, I don't want to ask you them anymore because what I do feel like this interview has done is make it clear where you're at and why you wrote this book and where it comes from. And that's all I kind of wanted to kind of get across. I wanted people to understand who, first of all, who the founder was behind MMD because we haven't had you on the podcast before. And then secondly, mm. understand why you wrote this book and where it came from and you know when I met you I met you at the beginning of this book essentially Um, or not beginning but you know like chapter one somewhere in chapter one Um, and now you are the Candice Brathwaite like that is that is who you are now and you've written this book and it's incredible but also I remember saying to you as a woman who by definition is a baby mother this is the first time that a book like this has been written that also um, reduces the shame. I've taken the shame out of the word for me, like obviously we all know that, but there Mm. are so many women who I receive messages from who are new to being baby mothers. And Mm. usually somebody is throwing the term at them to shame them. Um, Yes. 
they come to always me, right and they come to me and they're like wow you're a baby mum but you don't even talk about it and I'm just like yeah I'm a baby mum it is what it is who cares like I'm great at it I love my kids blah 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 and I talk but, but also for me I've removed so much shame from the term that baby motherhood is synonymous with motherhood to me my motherhood mm. just happens to be this version of it but there are mm. so 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 many women who may never be baby mothers but there's yeah. still that fear there's still that there's or not even fear there's still that lack of understanding I think especially in the industry of parenthood parenthood mm. is run by mums predominantly or wound carriers predominantly and so that version of motherhood looks like the people who are talking about it the most and documenting mm. it and immortalizing it. And this is the first book ever in this country for women who look like, for girls who look like us to be able to read it and say, yeah, she's talking to me. She's talking about me. Oh. She's talking for me as well. Mm. And you also talk about, the, the, some of the criticisms that we have of our culture that we are too ashamed or too afraid to say aloud you mm. cover those things too and you know like before when we were speaking about the naming process and you were like I'm very cautious of what I'm going to say here there mm. are most of the topics in the book a lot of black women feel like I'm very cautious of what I'm going to say here slash I'm not going to say anything. Yeah, do you know what though? Even though I know we're wrapping up, I just want to say that I, 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 I have to own that I have the privilege to speak the way I do because I've paid an almighty price. I've paid an almighty price and I've paid so over the odds that I am willing to bet my life on the fact that what I've paid should free at least a couple hundred thousand other black girls. Mm. So I, I couldn't, I couldn't not go there and I need people to understand that. And it's not even like I wrote it because at the end of the day, you need to chat to me nice. Well, you do need to chat to me nice to be honest, because I've been through a lot, but, I wrote it because I am safely on my way to positioning myself and my family into a place beyond my wildest dreams. But that doesn't mean that I get to leave my fucking hood behind. And I think you wrote it because, that, I think you wrote it because people didn't talk to her nice. The girl who was at the beginning of the at book, all. the woman who ended the book. And a lot of people, not just women, a lot of people, not just black people, a lot of people go through journeys in their lives where they can reflect on certain parts of that journey and say, you know, if I knew then what I knew now. And essentially mm. you wrote what you wish you knew then for everybody yeah. else who is in then and for, for you because you were you were still that girl. You were still that girl. Mm. And I think the process of writing this book I definitely saw within you was a lot of like, rah, that's so deep. Oh my gosh, I didn't realise it was that deep. I didn't realise it was that serious. I didn't I didn't recognise at the time the 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 hugeness or the greatness or the significance of XYZ. And yeah, you know, you're still where you are in spite of all of those things, but imagine had you have known. And I And this is it. That's and I, partially where this book I, comes from. Yeah, and I feel like um, I feel like 
Uh, yeah, it definitely is. You know, black people, we've been joking in the DMs and whatever. It's definitely a book for the culture, for sure, for sure. Um, but I definitely think, I, 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 even a couple of weeks ago, I would have said hoped, but I definitely think it's a book that is absolutely going to blow the hinges off of um, the way we discuss black parenting within Britain. And I think, I, um, I think at, at the very least, it will take a lot of people's uh, breath away because at the heart of it, this is, this, is all, this is all I set up at Instagram to do. Are you proud of yourself? Completely, insurmountably, darling. <laughs> insurmountably. And, and what's so funny as my friend, you know how much it takes to get me there. Yeah. Like, something will happen and Remy will be like, oh, you're dumb. This is so amazing. Get drunk. And I'll just be like, oh, yeah, it's kind of cute. But I'm already thinking about the next thing. I never take stock. But as, you know, people are getting their press reviews right now when certain conversations are happening, I actually have to look in the mirror and be like, no, darling, talk to yourself nice. Talk to yourself talk nice. To yourself nice. Yeah, because I don't even think... I, as long as I live, I will never understand the impact this body of work has, ever. Because I don't even get to be the Candice in chapter one anymore. I can't go back there. Thank goodness. I can't go back there. I'm, but, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. I, I, you know, I'm proud of you. I've seen you go from where you were to where you are now. Bro, I almost said the road, but privacy, privacy in that. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> because <laughs> like, I still live on that road so please <laughs> exactly <laughs> but um you know you've grown you've grown from where you were then to where you are now but also you how do I put this you've allowed yourself to grow beyond what you had planned to do anyway mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. my final question is and Ooh. even though we are skipping a lot, this is my final question. You said that you are your mum's wildest dreams, right? But in your in your kids' lifetimes, they've already exceeded your wildest dreams. How does that feel? It's so mad. It's so mad. Today, like we're all on lockdown right now. I don't know if we still will be by the time this goes out, but thank God we got a garden. We were lying in the garden and I just closed my eyes and let the sun beat down on me. And they're just like playing and not expecting themselves to have to think about any kind of responsibility or adult thing. And as that son was looking at me, I thought, you know, and actually, no, give credit to Bode. He said, anything else he, after we had a couple of glasses of wine so you can tell I'm sloshed now he was like oh you know anything else we're fighting to achieve has a time limit he said what these two think of us has absolutely no time limit like this is it all the time all in even if we die on paper we're still their parents and th- the fact that I even get to leave a as far as I'm concerned, it will be a tiny gift by the time they're, they're my age doing whatever they want to do. A gift like this. This is just, you know, for those who read the book or have read it, like, 
you know this is beyond my wildest dreams because I didn't even want to be a mum. So I'm just like, rah. I'm two kids deep living this mad life and having the privilege of of being alive. And I don't mean that in like this insincere when it's no, it's a privilege. Exactly. Yeah, like, like, yeah, no, no, no. When I say that to people, and I'm like, oh, me and my kid nearly died. They're like, ha, ha, ha. And I'm like, no, no, no. The government did a no. whole study on it. I actually nearly died. Most women who look like me and have babies, unfortunately, exactly. nearly died. This is a privilege. To raise our children is a privilege. So I get that. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't really lock eyes with my firstborn until she was six weeks. This is so beyond. This is beyond. Mm. And you know, I, 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 and I'm not just saying this because you're my friend. I know this will be the favorite, one of my favorite discussions about this book because I'm able to be my most real and authentic self. But to, you know, specifically black women listening who are bums, make sure they talk to you nice, darling. It's a cold world out there. Don't let no one chat down on your name. And like I said, you may get to the end of the book because you asked me this question offline the other day and you were like, what do you even think about the term baby mother? And it made me pause. It made me pause. Could my own work have made me change how I feel about certain things? That's history in the making. We the best. Guys, we're going. Thank you for listening. I hope you had a good time. Take care. Oh, Candice, wait, before we go, where can they find you? Um, at Candice Brass, not Brace, guys. Brass, B-R-A-T-H-W-A-I-T-E on Instagram. And in these streets, isn't it? Book, book. Bye. Say bye. Just say bye. <laughs> bye. The community here at Make Mother Diverse is always growing and we welcome any and every opportunity to connect with as many of you as possible. The main ways that you can get involved are via our Instagram. The handle is at Make Motherhood Diverse and on there we feature as many stories as possible and we also do Instagram takeovers. The other way is you could come onto the podcast the email address is mmdpodcast at gmail.com and the final way is writing a blog post our website is www.makemotherhooddiverse.com and other than that i hope you enjoyed the episode i've been your host my handle is at remy Chardet, and we will see you next time